Good morning. I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, and we're going to be in two separate passages today. We're going to be in 1 John, where we've been for the last several weeks, and we're also going to be in Galatians chapter 5. So, 1 John 5, Galatians chapter 5. Now, Tyrone, throw that uh, graphic up on the screen that gives you directions on how to find 1 John. Uh, so, so, if you're looking for 1 John, if you're not sure how to locate it, uh, grab one of the Bibles out of the back of the pew, and then you can follow these directions that are up on the screen. Now, Galatians is just several books before 1 John. So, if you can find 1 John, you can just go backwards in the Bible a little bit, and you'll hit Galatians. Uh, if you're in the Bible app, uh, we're in the Bible app, and you can follow along there. There are instructions up on the screen on how to do that as well. So, leave that graphic up on the screen so that everybody can locate uh, 1 John chapter 5 and Galatians chapter 5 this morning as we get going. Now, growing up, this may come as a shock to you, but I was kind of a short child. <gasps> I know, the stage adds like six inches. Um, but in all seriousness, I was the shortest child in my class up until my sophomore year of high school when I outgrew Karina Gallegos, um, and, which Karina never passed four foot ten. Um, so it's not saying much, but I was no longer the shortest after my sophomore year. But... Growing up as the short kid had its downfalls. It disqualified me from things that I wanted to do sometimes. So when I was like sixth grade, uh, my dad and our church went to this little bitty uh, amusement park in Amarillo, Texas called Wonderland Park. Now imagine this is one of those, it's almost a county fair, but it's permanent. Okay, really small, nothing like a Six Flags or anything, but it was the nearest thing we had to an amusement park in that part of Texas. And so we went to Wonderland Park, and I knew I wasn't going to get to ride the roller coasters. I knew I wasn't tall enough, but I thought, maybe I can do the bumper cars. So I had really geared myself up. I had gotten really excited because I was going to get to go on bumper cars. I was going to get to get behind the wheel and run into things. Now, as a sixth grade boy, that's the dream. And lo and behold, what do you think happened? You walk up to the, the front of the line, and they've got this big board, right? And it's got the Wonderland Park mascot, and he's holding his hand out like this. And if you can't pass his hand, you don't get on the ride. And guess where I fell? So I sulked away because I didn't get to ride the bumper cars. I didn't qualify. I wasn't big enough because let's be honest, you put a kid that size in a bumper car and the seat belts are way up here and I'm down here like this. And what happened? What, what could potentially happen? I could run into something and get loose from my seatbelt and fall out, and it'd be a dangerous situation. There are good reasons why those height rules are there. I didn't like them, but there's a reason why the people who run that amusement park have the rules. It's to keep us safe. It's to keep us within the boundaries that we're supposed to be living in when we're at the park to keep us from hurting ourselves or maybe even hurting someone else. Has God 
place things in our lives to keep us healthy and safe with him? Of course he has. You know, an ununderstanding world looks at the commandments that we have in Scripture and they look at it and say, well, Christianity is just a list of do's and don'ts. No, it's not. But even that list of do's and don'ts are placed there to keep us in a healthy place. They're guardrails. You know, the illustration that I've used in the past is if you're driving up to Flagstaff, Arizona on I-17, there are some places where you're driving on the highway and there's a rail on this side. And if you were to look over the edge of the rail, it drops off, right? That guardrail that's on the road is not there to limit you or uh, confine you. It's there to protect you from hurting yourself. The commandments that God has given us are not designed to limit us. They're not designed to restrict us. They're there to help us stay in a healthy relationship with our Savior. And John, the guy who wrote the book we're going to be reading from today, he says a lot about this. So I want you to take your Bibles, uh, your apps, whatever you're reading on. I want to turn, let's read that first uh, passage, 1 John chapter 5. With the same passage I read during the prayer time this morning, 1 John chapter 5, we're going to read the first five verses. And as you're turning there, let me again recap. John is uh, the last remaining apostle. In other words, the last of the 12 disciples uh, alive still uh, at this point. He's the last one. He's gotten uh, to an elderly age and he's writing to various churches trying to aid them and instruct them and guide them. And in 1 John, he gives us all the things that uh, he, he teaches. We've been in this book for, for many weeks now. But one of the things that he drives repeatedly is this idea of, of following God and what God says. So look with me in 1 John 5, starting in verse 1. It says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. Verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So John unpacks this idea that loving God is to follow God, that following God demonstrates our love for Him. In verse 2, he talks about how obeying God and His commandments is the sign that we love His children. Now that's interesting. When we obey God, it shows that we love the children of God. Remember, we just sang that, didn't we? That was the song that we sang right before I came up here, that we are the children of God. You, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have spiritually been adopted into God's family. He has become your spiritual adopted father. And all of the 
perks and inheritance that comes along with being a child of God comes along with that. But as we've been talking about for several weeks now, as a child of God, we're called to love the other children of God. How many of you have siblings? I've got seven siblings. Various, I've got a half-brother, I've got several step-sisters and brothers, I've got one full-blood sister, and I've got an adopted brother. Now, imagine my household when all of us are together. Do we get along perfectly? Of course not. But do we try to get along? <laughs> we try. And one of the cool things is about being part of the family is when we get together, we just pick up right where we left off. I've got a brother, one of my half-brothers, that uh, is nine years younger than I am, and I love that guy to death. And he's one of these family members that we can go from speaking for, for three months, and, and when we start talking again, it just picks right back up, kind of like what I talked about with my friend a few weeks ago. Ideally, as a parent, I want my two sons to get along with one another. That's my desire. And so I do things to help them get along. I try to teach them to get along. As followers of Jesus, with God as our Father, He wants all of us as brothers and sisters in Christ to get along with one another, to love one another, to be kind with one another, to be patient with one another. And if we obey what's in this library of instruction, this love letter from our Father, if we obey this, then we can't help but loving one another. That's what the love of God is. Following God is showing love for one another. That's what verse 2 says. So it's a sign but, but why does it say this specifically? Why is this a sign of loving one another? Go back to the previous chapter. Look down at your Bibles. Look with me in chapter 4, verse 19. It's just two verses back, the very end of chapter 4. Verse 19 says, We love because He loved us. Oh, man. That right there, by itself, should speak loads to how we're supposed to love others. If we're supposed to be loving the way God loved us, that's pretty much infinite love, isn't it? God has loved you. He has forgiven you. He has shown you grace and mercy. And we, in turn, are required, expected to do our best to show that same kind of love to those around us. We love because He first loved us. Now, let's be honest. Is this possible? No. None of us are possible. Uh, no, none of us are capable of loving the way that God loves us. Can't be done. But it's our striving. It's our effort. It's our attempt. It's our... What's the word I'm looking for? It's that genuine work to try and love the way God loves that matters the most. So, let's keep reading. Verse 20 in chapter 4. 
If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not know the love, uh, he who does not love his brother, whom he cannot love God. Oh my gosh, I messed that up. Let me start over. Verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So why is showing love for one another obeying God's commandments, as it says in chapter 5? Because God loves us, and to follow God means that we love others the way he loved us first. So there is an expectation of love from God. God expects us. God calls us to strive to love others with all that we have. So, we're actually going to talk a little bit more about this next week. But I want you to think on this for a little bit. In the coming seven days, what does love look like in your life if your love is supposed to be like that of the Father? Let's move on. Verse 3, uh, John talks about our obedience to God also being our love for Him. So when we obey God, we don't just show love for others, we also show love for God. When we obey God, it's a both and. We love God and others by following what God says. Obe uh, let me be clear, obedience does not save you. If you don't hear anything this morning, hear this part. You cannot earn your way into heaven by doing a bunch of good things. You can't even love people enough to earn your way into heaven. The only way into heaven is through a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ and being saved through his death and his resurrection and accepting that and living for him. That is the only way to be saved. But when you become a believer in Jesus... The natural offshoot, the natural consequence, the natural reaction of being saved and believing in Jesus is to obey what he says. The natural result of following Jesus, of having a relationship with Jesus, is living like he asks you to live. So obedience is much more like a sign that we're saved. It's the evidence it's one of the evidences that we have that shows we believe in Jesus. It's one of the things that demonstrates that. Uh, let me use this illustration. I could go and get married, and I could have the marriage license signed and be recognized by the state of Arizona and the United States of America as being married and I could go live with the person that I am married to, but if I ignore them and I don't live in a way that honors them, is my marriage real? No. It's going to be dysfunctional. It's going to be unhealthy. And let's be honest, it's probably a sham. When you have a relationship with Jesus, your life is going to reflect that. It's going to be transformative. It's, it's going to transform the way you think and the way you act and the way you speak. So following 
Jesus, obeying what he says, doesn't just show our love for others, and it doesn't just show our love for God, it shows both. According to John, 1 John chapter 5, obedience is a form of love. Because the instructions that God has given us in his word are designed to help us love others. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew 22. I talk about this all the time because it's important. Matthew 22, a scribe who was a religious leader comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in all of Scripture? And Jesus says what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On those two commandments swing the entire Bible. He says, swing on those two commandments hinge all of the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets is an Old Testament or, or, or a Jesus way of saying the Bible. So obeying God is love. It's loving God and it's loving others. Everything that God instructs us to do swings, hinges, breaks down to those two commands. So, he mentions here in chapter 5 that when we love Jesus, those commands to love God and love others, they're not burdensome. What did Jesus say about that? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And so following God through the power of the Holy Spirit is not just achievable. It can lift the burden from you. Think about it for a second. When, you're in, when you hate your brother and sister, isn't that a burden? Does that lift you up when you, when you destroy your fellow followers of Jesus, when you hate them and you look to destroy them and look for opportunities and you're always angry at them? Does that lift you up and make you feel great all day? No, it's a burden that drags you down. Love is not burdensome. Love is the thing that Jesus gave us to sustain us. Following him is not burdensome because every command that's been given boils down to loving God and or loving others. It lifts the burden from us. And that leads me to today's big idea. If you're, you're new to my messages I, I don't give a, a bunch of points that I want you to remember throughout the week. I want, I'm going to give you one that I want you to remember. And I want you to weigh this against Scripture and think about how it applies to your life. And today's big idea is this. If we are serious about our Savior, we will be serious about living for Him. If you are serious about your relationship, with Jesus Christ, you will also be serious about living for Him, following what He says. So what does obedience look like? The Bible says a lot about it, obviously, which has been misconstrued a little bit. Let me just uh, dispel a myth for just a moment. There are a lot of people who would say, well, well Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And it's a very popular phrase in culture and Christian culture today. And while that's true, it's not true. You see, Christianity following Jesus is both a relationship and religion. 
It's not one or the other. It's a beautiful mixing of the two. Because what is religion? Religion is the gathering of the family of God as children of God to coming together and encouraging and building up and growing in His Word and worshiping together and praying together. It's celebrating the Lord's Supper together. It's celebrating when people are baptized or people get married. It's all those things. That's religion. That's, that's coming together. But it's also a relationship. It's not either or, it's both and. And again, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to come back to this next week. So just keep your mind on it. You know, store that in the back of your head. But... But following Jesus is both. Because we are called to follow his commandments, as is said in 1 John 5 and many other places in 1 John. By the way, if you read through 1 John, he talks about following the commands of Jesus no less than six times. So this is a primary theme within this book. I'm giving you one tiny passage out of many They talk about the importance of following, uh, obeying God. So, let's move on to the next passage that I have for us this morning, Galatians chapter 5. I asked the question a moment ago, what does it look like to obey Christ? What does obedience look like? Well, this is where we've got to get into Galatians 5 and what it says about sin and the fruit of the Spirit. Because obeying God is multifaceted. Again, it kind of goes back to the list of do's and don'ts. They are the the things that God tells us, if you want to be in a healthy relationship with me, I want you to do these things or not do these things. And Galatians 5 gives us a a pretty interesting listing so that we kind of have an idea of what he wants from us. But I want to begin in chapter 5, verse 13. So Galatians 5 Verse 13 says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Now, if you want to know more about that, he talks extensively about freedom in Christ all through chapter 5. But, but right here, it just says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. So you're free in Christ. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. What is... The, the guy who wrote this is Paul, uh, Paul the, the apostle and missionary. What is Paul saying here about freedom? He's basically saying, you are free in Christ, but your freedom is a gift for you to sacrificially give up so you can serve others. You're given the freedom that you have so that you can use that freedom to love and serve others and to lift them up to build them up, to lead them to Jesus. So, don't use your freedom for an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Verse 14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. This is a pretty strong warning from Paul, isn't it? He's telling us here that we have freedom in Christ, but instead of using that freedom to get what we want, to have our needs, our, uh, our preferences fulfilled, 
Our freedom in Christ should be used to build one another up. And the counter to that, Paul says right here, that we better be careful because if, if we're not doing, living out that love and we're just biting and devouring one another, we're going to destroy that particular gathering of Christ, the body of Christ. Guys, as a body of Christ that meets on this campus, if our habit is to bite and devour one another, this body right here will never thrive. As a matter of fact, it'll probably die off, according to Paul. We must be so careful about the way that we treat one another. Does that mean that we have to agree with one another 100%? Of course not. But it does mean that we need to give one another flexibility and understanding and patience and kindness and work through our conflicts in a godly, good way. Continue with me, verse 16. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, desires for the flesh is a coined term by Paul that's from the Old Testament that is, is a term that refers to sin, okay? So when he says desires of the flesh, he's talking about sin. Continue with me, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, now the desires of the flesh, those are the things that well up from within us, our temptations, our desires, good or bad. And if you go read James chapter 1, James chapter 1 warns us that all sin originates as a temptation in our heart that goes unhandled. And when that temptation grows, it becomes sin and that sin leads to death. Go read James chapter 1. But that's what Paul is saying here. That the desires of the flesh are opposed to the desires of the Spirit, the desires of God. And we must watch out for those things because the desires of the flesh keep us from living in the Spirit, from doing the things we want. Let's continue, verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he gives us a list, basically, of sins. Now, this list is not exhaustive. It does not list every single sin, but it's pretty thorough. And there are many things that we should, of course, be paying attention to. We should not be living in any of the things that are listed here in this passage, 19 through 21. So let's look at that again. Because I don't list out sin all that often, but it needs to be called out and it needs to be recognized, right? So what are the works of the flesh, sin? Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality. Now that can go a dozen different ways in our lives. Sexual immorality is basically any 
sexual act done outside of the marriage relationship. And so we have to be cognizant. We have to be aware. Guys, this includes pornography. Ladies, this includes those romance novels that are a little too steamy and, and risque. I just stepped on someone's toes, didn't I? What does Jesus say about this? In Matthew 5, 27 and 28, he talks about that even if you look at someone with lust in your heart, you're committing adultery with them. Anything that leads you into lustful thinking is sexual immorality. We must be cautious. That is a sin. Let's continue. Impurity, sensuality, anything that makes us unholy, anything that drives us away from the things that God calls us to. Verse 20, idolatry, sorcery. Now, we don't practice idolatry and sorcery quite in the same way that they did during this day and age when this was written. You know, back in Paul's day, they literally had places where you could buy an idol and take them to your home, and you would worship that idol, this graven image, this molded image of, of someone or something. But I love what some of our current theologians talk about, how worship, idolatry, is anything that you place as being more important in your life than God. If God asked you to get rid of that thing, and you would struggle to get rid of it, that is an idol in your life. For many of us in this room, money and comfort is your idol. If God asked you to sell all your possessions right now, if we went to the Lord and you heard an audible voice from Jesus and he said, I want you to sell everything you have and I want you to move to a place where people have never heard my name and I want you to learn their language and live an uncomfortable lifestyle and live dangerously for me, how many of you would pause and say, I can't do it? For some of us, it's family or relationships. For some of us in this room, we would not give up the safety of our children, for example, if Jesus asked us to go and do something dangerous for him. What is that idol in your life? Maybe it's a possession, maybe it's an account, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a habit. I don't know what it is for you. But idolatry in today's day and age is different than it was in Jesus' day, in Paul's day. What is your idol? What would you struggle to give up if Jesus asked you to give it up? Sorcery. Guys, sorcery is anything that recognizes the authority of something other than God. You want to know what your sorcery might be? How many of you open up the paper or the, the site that you go to and you read your horoscope? Well, there's no harm in that. Yes! That is a spiritual, dangerous thing. You are looking at something in the stars and saying, this gives me more guidance than my life-changing relationship with Jesus. You don't think there's serious in, seriousness in that? Don't be deceived. We practice sorcery today. We just don't do it in the way that the movies portray. Be careful. 
Pay attention to those things that God says, this is an abomination to me. Leave it alone. That is sin. What else is this list? The interesting thing here is the list now shifts from our relationship with God to our relationship with others. Enmity and strife. Ooh, that's a tough one. Because we like to have enmity, don't we? We like to fight with each other. We like to push against each other. Jealousy. How many of us in our social media age, we look at the pictures of all of our friends or we come to church on Sunday morning and we see that, that person or that couple walk by and you go, oh, I wish my life was like theirs. To a certain extent, that's jealousy. Looking at what others have and wanting it from your, for yourself in such a way that it brings you down or you start making compromises to get what they've got. Let's keep going. We're in the middle of verse 20. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Guys, this is my big sin. I'll be honest with you right now. I'll call it out. You want to know what sin I struggle with? It's pride and fits of anger. I'll admit it all day long. I have a tendency to think of myself a little more highly than I ought to. That's pride. I'm a pretty smart guy. Let's be honest, I'm good looking too, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, y'all thought that was really funny. But in reality, think about it for a second. I spend all my time studying God's Word. And I, from time to time, I look at the knowledge I have and I think I'm better as a result. And I'm not, please hear me, I'm not. But my pride sure leans into that. And when my pride is challenged, I get angry about it. And I have sinned against many of you in this room as a result of it. And I will probably sin against many of you in the future as a result of it because this is my sin. This is the sin that I struggle with. You have a different one. Maybe fits of anger is your sin too. But I have to actively work on this. Let's keep going. Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Let me be very frank. Rivalries and dissensions and divisions have no place in the body of Christ. If you are someone or you spend time with someone that just loves to get you riled up against the church, you are in bad company. Because Paul didn't just give one word for that sin, he gave three different iterations of it. Especially since in verses 13 through 15, he just said to love one another and don't bite and devour one another. Kind of a common theme. Are you catching that? Let's keep going. Verse 21. Envy. Related to jealousy, but envy is when you take it to the point that you start transforming your life in order to meet the Joneses, to keep up with the Joneses or whatever that might be. Continue on. Drunkenness. Guys, some of you struggle with addiction issues. And there are ways, there are people that want to help you out of that addiction. That addiction does not make you any less a follower of Christ, but that might be your struggle. 
I live, I come from a family of addicts. My dad was a recovering alcoholic and drug abuser. My little brother is a recovering alcoholic. My uncle was a recovering alcoholic. Addiction is a real thing. And if that's your struggle, go find some help. If you don't know where to go, contact us. We'll keep it discreet. We won't tell anybody. We just want to help you. But please don't live in drunkenness. Don't live in addiction. It will destroy you. Let's finish this up. Orgies and the things like these. The parties that lead to sin. We can't live in those things. So, that's again, not an exhaustive list, but a pretty thorough one. It's a list of do-nots. A list, don't do this, don't be this, if you're a follower of Christ. But I love what Paul does after this passage, because following Jesus is not just a list of do-nots. There's also a list of do's. So, look with me in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So think about this for a second. If you could live out verses 22 and 23 in your life, if you strive to be a person of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if you strived to live this, would there be much room for the, flesh, the, the, the works of the flesh, the desires of the flesh? No. If you could live by the fruit of the Spirit, there wouldn't be much room for the works of the flesh. The analogy I use all the time with this is if the works of the flesh is a disease, then the fruit of the Spirit is the cure. If you could live in the fruit of the Spirit, you would have a hard time living in sexual immorality. You would have a hard time living in impurity and sensuality. You'd have a hard time with idolatry and sorcery because you're living in the fruit of the Spirit, etc., 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 the fruit of the Spirit is the list of do's, and those do's, do this, live this way, inoculates us. It, it gives us the vaccine that protects us from a lot of the works of the flesh. So live in those. Now I need to wrap this up. Where are you in this? Where are you in obeying Christ? Because remember, in John, 1 John 5, what did he say? If you obey me, this is the, the, the Chad condensed version. If you obey me, you are showing love for others and you're showing love for me. If you'll follow my commandments, if you'll obey what I say. So where are you in that? What is your sin struggle? Confront it. Confess it. Get accountability. Get somebody around you to help you to, to, to overcome that sin struggle. Guys, you realize 1 Corinthians 15, for example, says we have victory over our sin in Jesus Christ. Jesus has given you victory over your temptations. It doesn't mean you're going to live a perfect life. Please understand me. 
it means that you'll have the power to repent and fight against it. So where are you in loving Jesus by following what He says, in your relationship with Him? Being aware of obeying God, but also being aware of how God calls you to live. The do's and the don'ts. Again, you're not going to be saved by a good lifestyle. But if you love Jesus, this is something we should all strive for.